Today, my guest is Valerie Dixon. She is a teacher, a counselor, mentor, entrepreneur, and she's a writer who is a regular contributor to the self-help news, giving voice to the voiceless, which is a London-based online publication. Today, we're going to explore her book, Too Black to Succeed, and it is a conversation you don't want to miss because a lot of us Jamaicans, we close our eyes to what is really going on sometimes and how we got to where we are. So stick and stay and join with this conversation with Valerie Dixon. So Miss Valerie Dixon, welcome to Shelf Life. So good to have you with me. Thank you very much for having me, Miss Judy. Mm -hmm. Yes, beautiful day, um, interesting book. Oh my goodness, too black to succeed. But before we get to the book, because you know, once we get to the book, we're going to be talking black. So well, talk yes, a little that's bit true. about you and your background, where you come from. Um, what's your history? Where in Jamaica are you from? I am what you would call a born Kingstonian. Okay. When I hear people talk about coming from Kingston, I said to them, you mean you come from country and you live in Kingston? Okay, but let me stick a pin. Let me stick a pin because I was born mm -hmm. in Kingston. Let me just make that quite clear. When and I you live in Kingston? I was born and in Jubilee Hospital, but I grew up in country. Okay. So you and I, we have migration in reverse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. Because I would say that I was born in asphalt and concrete. Mm -hmm. I didn't know a banana tree until I was probably about 10 years old. Wow. Yes. Because if you want banana, you got to buy a banana. So, <laughs> you know. So asphalt and concrete as in where in Kingston? The heart of Kingston, central Kingston, where everything is built up. There's no grass. Mm -hmm. In other words, it was an inner city back then, and it still is an inner city back now. But I think in some parts that probably have, have banana trees growing. But when I came to my senses, I never saw grass. Wow. I didn't know what a lawn was what? supposed to be. Yes. And I mean, I ran barefoot on the asphalted Asphalt. roads and the concrete sidewalks. And there wasn't anything wrong with that because that's what you grew up seeing and knowing. So when I talk about um, in the book, for, for instance, when it's time to do that scholarship exam, mm -hmm. And they have to take your vital statistics, like your address and name and so on. And I said to the lady, I live at such a number, James Street. And she said, Kingston what? I said, Kingston. <laughs> yeah, Kingston. And she kind of rolled her eyes and said, what number Kingston do you live in? And I remember saying, my Kingston doesn't have a number, miss. And she just rolled her eyes. And I didn't like that roll at all. So I went home the evening and I said to my mother, how comes our Kingston doesn't have a number? And she rolled her eyes and said, oh my Lord, we have to move. 
Now it is strange. I lived on James Street and at the top of James Street is North Street. Mm -hmm. And if you step over North Street, you're now into Kingston 4 or Kingston Gardens. Right. So long story short, my mother steps over North Street and I could go back to school at the right time and tell her, Miss, I have a new address. And I told her the name of the street and she said, thank God. I really, to this day, it took me a good while to figure out what she really, really meant by my Kingston not having a number. Wow. Yeah. It, it's interesting how that, that stuck with you. And yeah. the things that you remember from your childhood that played an important part without you even realizing. Realizing it, yes. Like that day that. when I, things that other people take for granted. Like when you reach the age of six, you automatically go to big school or primary school. Right. When I went to be accepted into this big school, it's the first time I'm going to realize that I'm black. Aye. Aye. Wow. See, that's, I'm glad you old. brought that up because that is something that when you, when I read that part of the book, which is right up front, you know, I was mm -hmm. like, well, because I think I always knew I was black. Explain that though, because I don't think people understand that. No, I am from what we call in Jamaica, a mixed litter. Meaning that almost every child in the family, same mother, same father, has a different color. Mm -hmm. I know so, those. You know those families. Mm -hmm. So I have three sisters. And the darkest one of the three is about your complexion. And wow. here I am. So even though they didn't mean it or they didn't do it on purpose, mm -hmm. they would always have to justify my complexion. Mm -hmm. Like I would hear, I would hear people say, our skin black, but our nose straight. And they never said that to my other sisters. Mm -hmm. And my mother would say little things, not to hurt my feelings, but to sort of protect me. Mm -hmm. If you, maybe due to how people saw me as against my sisters. Mm -hmm. So this particular primary school was a church school and it was built for the, I want to say this right. It was built for the state church. I mean, the head of the, the church that was the church for the gentry. Let me just say. Okay. So, so, okay. Yes. So let me, let me say it since you can't say it. <laughs> the uptown church. Yes. The rich people church the, and the uptown church. Yes. Yes. So this is particularly strange. On James Street, at the bottom of James Street is Calabar Primary School. Mm -hmm. That is a Baptist church school. Chains away. Yet my mother bypassed the Baptist church and the Baptist school and took us way over to East Street and had us christened there. Mm -hmm. She had a plan or she understood how the society was mm -hmm. structured. Yeah. Even in her 
humble um, background. So we went to the state church or the church for white and brown people. Since we're dealing with reality, let's yes. explain. Yes, no, I, I believe in being very real. Yes, let's keep it real. So they had the school, and I mean it, Judith. When you look in the school at the time when I was six, and that's quite some time ago, it was on the children, your complexion, fairer or white, with long flowing hair, and they would tie the ribbon down to the very end of the hair so that it would flash here and there. And yes, <laughs> they, they are special. Mm -hmm. My poor hair has never grown much taller than where you see it here now. Never had anything tall or long. You didn't have the big afro? That's when we reach now to the 60s. Remember, this is still okay. in the 50s. So Walter Rodney has not arrived as yet. Mm -hmm. So my hair is combed, you know, what we call plait up here mm -hmm. in Jamaica. Yeah, and a nice, nice big red bow is placed right on top of my head. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I used to get teased about having penny farthing hair and pound a ribbon. <laughs> I think in terms of that, that would be like two cents worth of hair and $10 worth of $10 ribbon. Worth of ribbon. <laughs> it's all about the ribbon. So I am at this school and my sister who follows me, who's a little fairer than you are, is automatically corralled in a room with all the other children who look like her. And they are found out to the various classes that they're going to be placed in. And I'm noticing that all the other children standing in the yard Look and like their you. mothers, yeah, black. Mm -hmm. And their mothers are black like me. Mm -hmm. My mother is a little fairer than I am, but you can't tell her that, or you couldn't tell her that. And the, the headmistress, who by the way was a Miss Dixon, as I said in the book, God does have a sense of humor. <laughs> She comes to the door and she says to us, I remember it so plainly and so vividly, all you mothers and your children, just go down John's Lane and go to the next school. I swear, Judith, there was a little ipsy-tipsy, teeny-weeny, beany road that divided this school from this other school. And she said, just go down John's Lane and go to convent. Oh my Lord. And sister and sister will be glad to take these children at that school. Here is my mother. This one needs to be accepted into your school. Exactly. And, yeah. And Miss Dixon looks me up, down, all the way around. And she says to my mother, she has to do a test. But, but the now, other kids didn't have to do the test? No, they were just farmed off to where they're supposed to be going. But I have to do a test. Now, I'm coming from what we call, um, well, in those days, it was called private school. We call them basic schools today, where you are prepared to enter big school or primary school. And at basic school, the most you do in maths 
is two columns, units, tens. Mm -hmm. You might go for hundreds, but you concentrate on that and the reading of your Happy Ventures book. Right. So I know how to do sums because I can add units and tens. The lady takes my slate from around my neck. And, and just, just, just a second for those who are watching who don't know what a slate is. And yes, I used to use a slate. I'm really not that young. Um, it's, it's like a small blackboard. It's a mini blackboard that we used mm -hmm. to have to write on because we didn't have exercise books. Exercise books were not a thing at the time. So you would write on that and then you'd erase it for the next class or the next lesson. Teacher would check it and then you erase it and you write again. So that's what the slate is. Keep, keep going because this is a fascinating. So she, so she takes my slate from around my neck and she writes the longest sum I have ever seen at the time in my life. Numbers like nine and eight and six and seven. No, two plus five or in a little three, two, one. No, no, no. And she gives me two lines about four or five inches long. And she says, add that. I look at the slate and I feel the lump beginning to grow in my throat because I know that this is an impossible task. I cannot do this. And my mother's there nudging me on. Valerie, do the sums now, add it. You don't help her. Do this, son. Do this. And I feel the tears. Mm, I feel at them the very edge. Just about to spill over. And I steal myself at six. But the lump is there that I cannot get rid of. And when she came back and saw that the sum was not completed, she just locked the door right in my mother's face and in my face. And my mother went and I thought she was going to go through the gate and go down and join the others to go to convent or send the girls' school was St. Joseph's and the boys' part was Aloysius. Mm -hmm. And she sits, she sits on the wall, not saying a word to me. And I'm there feeling so bad all sorts of things running through my little six-year-old head. Then I hear this bell ringing and the door flies open and pure brown-skinned children with hair and ribbon flying in the air and they're having a wonderful time. And my mother just puts my bag in my hand and she says, go find a seat. Wow. And with that, she's gone through the gate, up John's Lane, and disappears from my sight. Yes. This story is just giving me chills. It is giving me chills because when we talk to the younger generation, what is the younger generation for us? People in their 30s and even 40s, um, 20s, and so on, we explain that the Jamaica we grew up in, me and you, maybe me might get wet, but don't, don't, mm -hmm. don't take my fair skin too lightly. You know, it's because I'm in quarantine for a whole year, right? Because <laughs> when I'm able to travel and I'm up and down and I'm out of street and in Jamaica, I ain't this fair, right? Mm -hmm. this, is my, this is my winter skin. <laughs> yeah. but, but, 
when we try to explain that there was a time in Jamaica where we could not walk through the front gate of certain hotels. Yes. You know, I mean, literally they could not stop us, but you were so uncomfortable just walking it's like, through. They made yes, it so that this, you were uncomfortable. This journalist who thought that he could control his own life, very prominent journalist at the time, Went to Myrtle Bank Hotel. Yes, I, I know the story. Remember that story? And dove into their swimming pool. Barbara. And nobody said anything to Barbara Blake. Barbara Hannah's Blake, Hannah's 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 Blake. She writes about it in her new book. And I mean, it's one of one of the funny stories about, about her life. But you know what? Yes. We talk this black and white thing all day, but we need to talk about your book. No but problem. This is important to the foundation of the book because it's now I understand as somebody who has read the book and read it from the standpoint of being being able to have this conversation with you now I understand the genesis of the book because the genesis of the book is not what happened to you as an adult the genesis of the book was what happened to you as a child. So, so that everybody understands, the name of the book is Too Black to Succeed. Now, there are actually like two different covers to this book. Too Black to Succeed, the FinSAC experience is the original cover and is available in Jamaica because people in Jamaica understand the FinSAC experience. And, um, you know, how the Too Black to Succeed comes into that. The international cover is Too Black to Succeed and it's, when I first, I have to tell you, so when I first heard about the book, when you first introduced me to the book, um, it, what I read was not what I expected. I don't know how else to put it. It was not what mm -hmm. I expected at all, mm -hmm. because this book goes into far more history, and I'm a history buff, right? Far more history of Jamaica. You're going to the colonialism from slavery. You talk about the Irish, the Chinese, the Indians, self-rule, why it was necessary to do all of that. And so it is, it's actually far more than anything that I thought it was going to be because it delves deeper into some of the things that go into the psyche of the uh, And not just- That's the what I love you saying. I love you saying that, Judy. You have to get the history first to yes. understand why we are too black or perceived as being too black to succeed. Due to that history that has been brainwashed into our heads from the first Africans yes. set foot anywhere in the new world. Yes. And this is why I don't want people to think that it's a Jamaican book. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Anywhere there are Africans. Yes. Enslaved Africans, Africans who didn't know slavery, the experience is the same. And why it is necessary is, I'm sorry, Judy. No, go ahead. What is, what happened? 44,000 my family and 44,000 black entrepreneurs happened just the other day and is still happening in other forms. It's now covert, it's gone underground, it has disappeared like a river, mm -hmm. but it is still there working mm -hmm. underground mm -hmm. and having the same results when it 
does come up on the surface. Mm -hmm. So, you, yes, please go ahead. Go ahead. You, you, and you talk about the fact that like the first Jamaican black entrepreneurs were, we used to call them Higglers. And then they oh. changed it to informal commercial importers, ICIs, to, to add some dignity to it. Because I can tell you, one of my first landlords, she couldn't write our name. Okay. She used mm -hmm. to import here when here just start import. That was her thing. And she had one of the biggest houses with the longest cut stone wall in an area mm -hmm. out east. Okay. And when I would bring my rent to her, she would just write an X. Right? But, mm -hmm. but you couldn't teeth her. And she was business savvy. She understood business. And so when I read your book and I read just exactly what it was you were trying to get across, that this whole idea of us being perceived as too black to succeed and not, and it is part of that psyche, that that brainwashing, that miseducation that we got. Mm -hmm. Why mm -hmm. we talk about that. I hear black people say it all the time. Black black man don't like help black man. And I don't think it is true. And I think you mm -hmm. have to go back to the days of the enslaved Africans who were forced to fight each other for food, you mm -hmm. know, and to, to, to bust on each other in order to just not be beaten. The informal culture. Informal culture. Yes, right. that's where it all started for survival. But survival. we unfortunately have taken it to a new level that is not necessarily positive mm -hmm. in Jamaica right now. No. But due to our history, our young people nowadays don't have the support any longer that my generation, I'd call it tough love, because that's what I believe my mother had for me. Mm -hmm. But she understood the system. Mm -hmm. These parents understand nothing. So they're easily manipulated by something we have been given since 1944. Universal adult suffrage. Mm -hmm. One man, one vote. To my mind, I think that that was one of the worst things that could have happened. Really? I yes. Really? Why? Tell me why. And then spirit that our ancestors left slavery with. They were like chickens in a coop. And then one day, 1st of August, 1838, the owner of the coop come and opened the door and said, And let out all the chickens. Right. Let out all the chickens. You're free. No education. No skills. All most of them knew was how to plant, cut, harvest, and those who were more educated would know how to make the sugar. Right. That's it. I, yet those. Yet, go ahead. Go ahead. Yet those people were able to build houses through a system where they had no individual resources. But through what they called, um, it's a timeshare morning sport, they would call it. A gang of us would come to your little plot mm -hmm. and we would help you to right. erect your house. Mm -hmm. And then the next weekend. And those houses were able to withstand the fiercest hurricane and tsunami, whatever you want to call it. Unlike those of us today who been to school, 
build houses as hurricane come, whoosh, roof gonna see. I think, I think a lot of that though doesn't have to do with our education. And let me go back to the one man, one vote. Um, I disagree with you. And I disagree with you because I believe everybody should have a vote. I believe that yes. government should be by the majority for the majority. I think where it falls apart is not in the system of one man, one vote, where it falls apart and what is the corruption of the system. Mm -hmm. But not the system, but the corruption of the system and the lack of education now um, of the people who are expected to participate in the system. And it goes back to, again, the brainwashing and all the, 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 the job. I like to say they did a job on us. And it's going to take centuries oh, yes. for us to get beyond that. But before we run out of time, I want to talk a little bit about the FinSAC experience. Because mm -hmm. although it is a small part of the book, there are going to be a lot of the younger people who don't even understand what happened. So really quickly, in a nutshell, just talk about mm -hmm. that and how that relates to the whole idea of being too Black to succeed. It comes back to the fact that the people who did no work during slavery were the ones who got reparations or compensation for the loss of their slaves or their labor force. During the FinSAC era, what happened was the private sector that is made up of the gentry class and those token black people who get in through whatever means, decided that they were going to be expanding their business. Okay. So they needed foreign exchange because they seldom ever create employment. Employment is created among the lower class. They, the, the people who are the skilled workers, they will take a man with them. So the mason has two men, carpenter, and okay. that's how, the, the, the other people, they mainly depend on our skills, our culture, our everything to be the consumers. Right. So we don't really produce as such. So in a nutshell, this particular class decided that they wanted to expand their business. So everything that they more or less needed has to come from abroad. Mm -hmm. And to get anything from abroad, you must have foreign exchange. So there is a rush on because of this spending spree to get foreign exchange by any means necessary. The remittances that came from abroad became a huge part of the black market. Mm -hmm. Instead of people taking their dollars to the central bank or whichever bank, the banking system, they now began to sell it on the black market because people were offering them more money, more Jamaican dollars for one US dollar. So people began to bid. And even the government got into this bidding um, market, the black market for dollars. This particular bank manager, Don Crawford, who owns Century National Bank, was like the piece in the Jenga pile. Mm -hmm. He decided that he would enter the black market. And so he outbid the usual people who are your um, entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. He's an unusual one because 
he isn't the right color to belong in right. that commercial class. And he outbids them. The government gets into the whole business now of buying dollars. And they put millions of dollars into the car trunks. I don't know what you call it, trunks of the cars. And send them on the road to buy US dollars on the black market. One of these agents is robbed of millions of dollars. All of a sudden now, foreign exchange becomes scarce. Yes. A lot of money is on the road because they hear something bad about Don Crawford. That he's a this, that, and other. You'll read it. And so there is what you call a rush on his bank. Mm -hmm. People are now taking out money, oh, money. in droves. And he doesn't have a chance to fix anything. So everything has now collapsed like the Jinga, Jinga pile. And the so everybody, effect. and so everybody the who has investment, domino. everybody who has investment, that's right, fall apart. Everything falls apart. So money is in people's hands or under their mattresses, and the government steps in after they have done what they have done to help with this chaos, they now step in and hike interest rates mm -hmm. with the hope that people with the plenty, plenty money will buy into the high interest rate. They will now speculate and they will now invest in what we call paper, mm -hmm. shares, bonds, treasury bills, all of that, because they are guaranteed this high interest, which moved from 20% to 120%. I remember that. Overnight. I remember that, yeah. No, high interest rates only suit people with money. Yeah. You know as the money. And it only suits people to not build factories or expand employment because they don't have to. They can play all day and let their money work at 120%. Mm -hmm. So by now, the economy is in a shambles. Wow. Because the 44,000 entrepreneurs who are your employers, who are your producers, who are your manufacturers, are without financial assistance because the banks cannot know help them anymore mm -hmm. as they are unable to service the loans right. that they have to buy state-of-the-art equipment to improve their factories to employ more people and do all the things that would grow an economy so in in basic in in, in short form they got finsacked they got finsacked because got the word finsacked fin simply means that you have to adjust now something that is broken. Now, if you're a government and you know what you are doing, you build. You don't have to start from scratch to go and fix and adjust your, your, your financial sector. So if there is no unemployment, what are people to do? People I know. have to live. They have to live. And you know. But yes. you know what? We don't want to give them uh -huh. more, you know. Because people need to okay. read the book. <laughs> people need to read the book. So, ladies and gentlemen, listen, we are running out of time. And I just want to say that this book, uh, Too Black to Succeed, 
is something that I think everybody should read. Because again, so many of us, not, not so many of us, all of us, all of us, some of us have broken out of it and we have educated ourselves and we have seen the light and we have ditched the colonial mentality and understood what was done to us as a people, generation after generation after generation. And we understand that it's going to take generations more for us to get to that place where we are truly emancipated, you know, mentally. But so if I may just last words, yes. If I may just quickly state here, the blame was placed on us, the producers, the employers, and the manufacturers. That it's because we don't know how to run business mm -hmm. while we fail. George William Borden is the co-founder of Mutual Life Insurance Company. That was over a hundred years old. How can you call a business like that a bad debtor? We yeah. were over 20 odd years and on and on and on among these people who were literally destroyed. Yeah. We lost our business, our house, because you're trying to fill this, this bottomless pit mm -hmm. because you went in borrowed money to try to help your business, to expand employment, to help to develop Jamaica and people with the same colonial mentality, but whose faces are now black, did this to their own people. Yes. Yes. And that is the Finsac experience. Exactly. And the Ponzi and pyramid schemes mm -hmm. were used to distract people from what was really happening and giving the impression that Jamaica was prospering. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you can read it for yourself. Too Black to Succeed. This is a book by Valerie Dixon. And it is, yeah, it is, it is something to read because again, it goes all the way into the history. And I love the fact that it does that because it gives you the basis on which a lot of us think the way that we think and why we need to emancipate ourselves from that kind of thinking. Thank you so much, Valerie, for being on Shelf Life. It has been a pleasure. One day when COVID done, keep me, you sit down and we chat, right? Over some Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> and I would like to get into the slave laws that were used to keep us in our place. I touched on it in this book, but I may expand into another book dealing with just the laws that the colonial masters and the neo-colonial leaders of today continue to use still using yes. to keep us too black to succeed. Much blessings. And on that note, wonderful note to end. Thank you all for being with me today on Shelf Life. Thank you, Valerie. I'll catch you again next week. Welcome. Same place, same time for some more Shelf Life. We'll see what else I have on my shelf. Blessings, have a good day. Thank you again, Judith. Thank you for watching Shelf Life. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned a few things and I hope you run out and get yourself the book. In the meantime, check out my website, check out my YouTube channel, find out more about me and what I do. Have a great week, blessings. Bye.